Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Welcome to another edition of Face to Face. We are here today on uh, live, well, probably not live for you, the listener, but live uh, on Queen Street East, I believe, at the Verity Club, and we are here to chat with Frank Soriano. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today, thanks Frank. Thanks for asking me, David. Yeah. So, Frank, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let Frank tell tell us a little sure. bit about what he does and who he is and so on. He is a He's a consultant, but he's a he's a leadership consultant. He's um, I'm guessing a bit of a writer, mm-hmm. uh, speaker, and um, a change maker of one kind or another. So that's certainly, I think those are all good reasons for why for why we're chatting here together today. So, Frank, why why don't you tell us maybe a, a little bit about what it is you do? Okay. And I'm not gonna. I'm not going to restrict you to the 30-second elevator speech. Sure. Uh, I may interrupt you from time to time, but yeah, tell us a little no, bit more about what you're up to. David, let me uh, let me give you a little bit of context around that. I should tell you that <clears throat> I uh, recently have become self-employed as a consultant slash keynote speaker. Was that by, was that by design, Frank? Uh, circumstances came together, and I'll explain that because I think that's important. Yeah. <clears throat> so I had worked 30 years for the Workplace Safety and Insurance Board. 
I originally took a job there as a rehab counselor, a rehabilitation counselor, because I felt I wanted to make a difference in the lives of people at that level. And so I wanted to work with people who had been injured on the job. And uh, that's how I started out um, with the WSIB. I then uh, became a training specialist after five years of doing that. And then after being a training specialist for five years, I thought um, I should cross over into the dark side and get a job in management, uh, which I did. And I spent 10 years in management. In the last 10 years at the WSIB, I became part of human resources and worked as an internal consultant focusing on leadership development. And so that's my 30-year history there. Uh, the important question, as you mentioned, though, is why did I end up leaving? And after 30 years, uh, there comes a time when you have to uh, sort of embrace your work and try to take it out to a larger audience, which I wanted to do. But I will also say that corporate entities often have a change in upper management. And the nature of the organization was such that they weren't paying as much attention to leadership development as I thought they should. Hmm. I think leadership uh, is something that we never get tired of talking about. Uh, there is no panacea or silver bullet, uh, and different people have different understandings of what leadership is and what great leadership uh, should involve. And so I wanted to take my work and, um, you know, I guess, um, sort of cater to a larger audience, if I can put it that way. So the last couple of years, uh, to your point earlier, I have been writing a book, actually. Oh, okay. And I actually, I actually have a manuscript as we speak, and it's about 50,000 words, and it's really sort of uh, my thoughts over the last 10 years on what uh, great leadership is, what leaders should, leaders should focus on. Um, I've come up with six questions that I think every leader needs to be able to answer uh, for themselves. But leadership to me is not reflective of a position, it's reflective of a mindset. And so whether you hold a formal leadership position or not, I think it's all incumbent on us to demonstrate leadership behaviors. Yeah, I saw something in, uh, you know, uh, your, either on your mm -hmm. site or in your promotional material, and you, you, almo you almost imply as if we all have a responsibility to lead in one way or another. Yes. And I think that's, that's something we sh probably should impact. So you're writing a book, mm -hmm. and listen, this is, don't, don't take me the wrong way, no. but hasn't it all been said before for crying out loud? I mean, is there anything else after Dale Carnegie? Is there uh, anything <laughs> else after Stephen Covey? Really? You know, you know, you know I asked myself that the very seven, same... That the Seven I, Habits? I asked myself that very same question, and I remember reading a book called The Wisdom of Teams, and they started off, those two authors started off with the same, same thought. Is yes. there anything more that can be said about teams? Yeah. And they said, but we decided to write the book anyway, and I guess I've taken the same approach. I think... I think that sometimes it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. And these days, I think it's very important for people to be able to relate to what you're saying on a more personal level. So I, I will tell you that some of my epiphanies have been related in relation to bringing up my children uh, and some of the stories that my father told me as a child. Uh, some of the examples I use are not from corporate life. They're very personal examples because, as, as you just pointed out, Leadership is everyone's responsibility. So how does this material and information actually influence our day-to-day -day lives? Do you think that there's something to, I mean, I'm, I'm with you 100%, and sometimes, you know, some of the questions I ask will be, you know, of you and of others are just to not, not, not stir it up. You know, you know, I was once accused of being argumentative by a professor, and I was, I was like, I was, I was, I was emotionally hurt by that. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I'm not, I don't consider myself at all argumentative. Uh, I, I, stylistically, maybe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can come across that way. If your face is red and you're standing on your feet, maybe that's yeah. a bit argumentative. But really, for me, it, it's about trying to get to the bottom of it. Yes. And, and what is it that is really 
fundamentally, effect, uh, f fundamentally affecting this kind of change, mm -hmm. or uh, what is it that's causing the issue, or you know. So it's about problem solving, but I think it, I think it even goes deeper than just mm -hmm. problem. Problem solving to me is very mechanical mm -hmm. and, and, and anti-relational on mm -hmm. some level. So I love what you say about you know some of the stories that your father has told you mm -hmm. or told you along the way. I have a six and an eight-year-old, and I was talking to my wife Elizabeth just recently mm -hmm. about the memories that we're creating for them and how important they're going to be. And just even uh, last night, I, I've got a set of walkie-talkies, and uh, Spencer has one in his bedroom, and I have one downstairs, and I'm giving him updates on the hockey game while he's in bed. And so we've and I go, you know, Elizabeth, yeah, he's not going to get a great sleep over the next two weeks, but he will never forget this. No, that's true. He'll remember is that, that not all? Like, yes, that like, is what makes the difference. Those little bits of business, yes, right? So so you're taking that yes. uh, and coming up with the three steps yes. of or the five steps of or is it, you know, are they are these stories metaphors? Well, the, some of them are metaphors and some of them, uh, for example, I love fairy tales. I suspect that you probably do as well. I do there, actually, there's, yeah. There's, I'm there's, reading uh, one right now that uh, uh, Victoria gave me and yeah. I can't remember the title of it, which yeah. I'm sorry about, but no. I am reading a story about the, the some pearls and fairy tales. Yeah, there's or fairies. A, there's there's much to learn from there fairy is, tales. Yeah, right? and so stories are stories are stories. It's great. It's a great line, by the way. What's that? There's much to learn from fairy tales. I think I, I think I think it was Albert Einstein who said, "If you want your children to be brilliant, read them read them fairy tales. If you want them to be even more brilliant, read them more fairy tales." <laughs> and so I guess that, that always stuck with me. But um, yeah, some of the stories are very pragmatic and very practical, and some of them are very met metaphorical. Um, I can tell you a very quick story about my son that uh, kind of proves a point. And so you, you probably know about the ladder of inference, I think, developed by Chris Argius. And you see an event and it affects you in a different way. We make our beliefs. We act accordingly, et cetera, et cetera. But the relevance of that didn't hit me until one day I was at my parents' house and we had lunch and my son was playing cards with my father. My father, of course, was 80 at the time. My son was 9 or 10. And... Uh, my father was winning the whole time and my father said to my son because he felt badly for him He said, you know, Jonathan, you're a very good loser um, And my son didn't say anything, but as we walked out the door, I could see he was somewhat upset I said, Jonathan, what's the matter? He said, well, <clears throat> Nono thinks I'm good at losing And I said, no, no, he was trying to pay you a compliment But he didn't understand that idiomatic expression and so he took that out of context And so we tend to see the same event, whatever it may be, but we apply different understandings. And I think that sometimes, to your point about being argumentative, of course, I'm of Italian descent, so confrontation is just, you know, a byproduct of my upbringing. Uh, <laughs> or too much red wine. Oh, yeah, or too much red wine, yeah. or both. It's those Barolos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that we need to understand, and I think intelligent people need to understand. So I don't think it's a matter of an argument. I think it's a matter of having understanding. And if but, it sounds like an argument. So I love all that, and, and I'd love to get back to that mm -hmm. story, because I think there's a lesson there for, for all of us. Uh, more than one lesson mm -hmm. as well, but you know, I, I, I forever go on about this rate uh, at quite a rate about polarization, mm -hmm. up and down, and mm -hmm. black and white, and and perspective. Really, you know, well, it's all about perspective. Mm -hmm. But you know, do we really believe that? Like, you hear that's all the time, right? Sure. You hear, well, that's your perspective. Or, sure. But I, I just wonder uh, if you know, when it comes to to working through issues, uh, political issues. Mm -hmm. uh, social issues in the world, relational mm -hmm. issues, husbands, wives, partners, and mm -hmm. so on. I, I, I don't. And maybe that's why you're writing a new book. Well, David, that's a very good point. And actually, what we believe is an extension of what we think. And so, when I often give a keynote, I, I tell them that my purpose here is to have us think about our thinking. 
right? What is it that you think that leads you to be, believe what you believe, and then based on your beliefs, you behave in a certain manner? So again, I'll go to leadership. I, I talk about the mental model of leadership. I mean, people often think, okay, leadership, position, power, etc., etc. Uh, my my definition of leadership, and I ask people, what would be the one word to describe leadership? If I, I was an alien who landed on the planet, what would that word be? And invariably, people go to strategist, decision maker, motivator, mm -hmm. inspirer, mm -hmm. hero, whatever. My word for leadership is educator. And the reason I use educator is because an educator takes someone from a place of not knowing to a place of, of knowing, from a place of not doing to a place of doing, and from a place of not being to a place of being. And that is actually very important because it speaks to the culture of an organization, to the culture of a family, to the culture of a community. So it's based on what you think, how you, you know, what you believe, how you behave. And is this so, is this why you think we all have a responsibility as a leader? Yes. Because there's that, I mean, we're all educators on some level, I suppose, or are you formalizing it more and saying this person, uh, you know, twice a week has a board meeting and calls people in and we sit down in a room and educates them? Or are I you talking about a whole other level? I think a whole different level. I think on a day-to-day -day basis, there is an opportunity for demonstrating leadership based on that definition, and that's why I think everyone has that responsibility. I don't think you have to wait for a meeting, or I don't think you have to meet with certain people. I think, uh, I don't think I need to tell you that even as a parent, you're a leader and slash educator, as you've just pointed out. So you're, te you're teaching, I mean, is that something you say in your talks, uh, in your writing and so on, that we are teaching all the time, therefore, be uh, on your guard, therefore, watch what you say, therefore, uh, ask the right questions? Absolutely. It's about raising your level of, well, of what I call self-awareness slash other awareness. And so one of the things that I'm sure you've come across is people always talk about the importance of relationships and they say, well, you know, you should have good relationships. It's such a cliche, Frank, that I actually think in some ways it's meaningless now. Oh, well, it's all about relationships, right? Yeah, but but having said that, though, what what exactly is involved in establishing relationships? That's right. So it's not just one thing. It's not just about trust. It's not just about conversation. Yep. Uh, I've developed a model that I call the business relationship model, and it talks about five things. So it talks about slash slash other awareness. It talks about trust, effective conversation, collaboration, and feedback. I think you need all of those things, based on the systems thinking approach, in order to have effective relationships. But I don't think that people intentionally set out to say, how can I improve this relationship, even though they know that there may be something lacking in the relationship. What do you think, uh, what do you think about um, the digital world we're living in right now? We, you and I seem to be fairly similar ages. Yes. Um, do you think that it's developing healthy workplace relationships? Do you think it's... Uh, fostering better marriages and and so on. I mean, I just came out of a family weekend, and at one point, I made a note. There was one person reading a book, and there was about nine of us in the room, and eight of us were on a device. Yeah, yeah. eight of us. Now, that's we also played soccer and corkle and yeah. ate meals together yeah. and had a great time, right? Yeah. But it just was man. If somebody had taken a camera or a, yeah. a, 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 you know and got an image of that, they'd sure. say, "Wow, these guys got issues." Well, David, you see that all the time. Yeah. And I'll be very candid. I think this technology ha has, in some on some level, dehumanized our relationships uh, because there's no substitute for face-to-face -face conversation. And I'm sure you probably know this as well. I mean, there's something to be said about looking a person in the eye, about how they deliver the message, uh, their body language. There are a whole bunch of intangible things that cannot be picked up by uh, your electronic device. Mm -hmm. And the danger there lies is that 
um, well, everyone has a BlackBerry or an iPhone, and they seem to be consumed with this information. No one is that important. Uh, I tell this story about going to a confirmation, and Father John says, could you please turn off your cellular devices, because God won't be texting you during the service, right. and probably not afterwards. Right. No one is that important. You know, I don't think that anyone is so important that you can't spend time uh, having a conversation with the person who's sitting right there in front of you. Because right now, at this moment, you're the most important person to me. It doesn't matter how many text messages I'm getting or uh, you know, whatever information is coming on, on my iPhone. You are the most important person to me. And I think I sh should show you that kind of respect and vice versa. I remember years ago, uh, my cousin being a cousin's girlfriend at the time, a long time ago, I probably told this story before on a, on a podcast, but we were there, uh, she was coming to pick up some information about U2. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge U2 fan, always have been, so I had several books and all their albums, and I don't know, who knows, maybe I had an interview. For, oh, I know, I, I, okay, now I'm going to just, you know, show that I'm a bit of a lunatic here, but I subscribed to their magazine called Propaganda back <laughs> in the day. And so I was giving her some sources for some sure. articles she was writing for School Project. We were standing in the kitchen, uh, living in Mississauga. And her and I don't rem don't even remember her name, and the phone rang, and I completely ignored it, and we c kept our conversation going, and she left, and this mm -hmm. is pre-internet, and this was pre-BlackBerry, and so on, and device, and a couple days later, my cousin called me and said, "Holy cow, you blew her away, by the way, when you guys were in your conversation in the kitchen, and the phone rang, and you ignored it." She just assumed that soon, you know. But a couple things there going on: a that that communicated that to her, and b that my cousin took the time and effort to actually tell me that. Right. So to this day, unless it's a really important phone call, and when I say really important, it's got to be Bono calling, mm -hmm. or the World Bank, or my mother, mm -hmm. um, in that order, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm not answering the phone if I've got family over. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I don't want to become the old fart, Frank, mm -hmm. you know, that says technology is killing us all and so on. No, but there's, it's, but there's wonderful benefits to yeah, technology. Yeah. I think we'd agree on that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But, but to your point, the very fact that you did that, I think demonstrates how much the relationship meant to you. Like if right, you're not distracted, right. if you're not taken away by the guy knocking on your door, arranging your golf game, or picking up the phone, or looking out the window, or sending an email while yes, you're talking, while to someone, you're talking to them, yeah, that's absurd. It it is absurd, and it's you know it's kind of like if you say you know you're making a choice, mm -hmm. right? And if you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to another, and vice versa. So if you're sitting there, you know. Typing an email while you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, you're communicating more than just through Absolutely. email. You're making, you're, you're giving them a message. I know. And the message and is not a good one. Oh yeah, no, and I'm slapping my the back of my hand right now too many times, but uh, hopefully getting better at it all the time. Mm -hmm. So, so you're into your you you speak on the leadership relationships mm -hmm. and systems thinking. Yes. So, so tell me a bit. So, as the you know the the philosopher, the fly in the ointment here, systems thinking yeah. sounds kind of anti-relational. Sounds kind of mathematical and Cartesian and, okay, Frank, let's get that big graph up there on the sure. PowerPoint and, sure. and show me the stats, give me the numbers. Okay. Well, it's How fun. do you fight back against that? It's or funny that you mention the Cartesian thinking because it was Rene Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am, mm -hmm. right? And he influenced the thinking of society for almost 300 years because he felt... Still he, does, I think, in well, a huge he, way. He yeah. does in a, in a huge way. He felt the universe was a giant clock and if we broke down all the parts of the clock and, underst and understood how they worked, we would understand you know, what, the clock, what, what the clock does. Systems thinking, and it's a relatively new term, and I say relatively because it's about 100, 100 years old, is really uh, contingent on the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. But in order for the whole to be greater than the sum of its parts, all of the parts have to be working well, 
but also the relationship between the parts have to be working well. So it's actually much more focused on relationships than one would think just based on the way it sounds, right? So if any part of my system, so if I go back to my model about the, the various parts, uh, I may be very good at giving feedback, I may be very collaborative, I might be able to have great conversations, but if people don't trust me, my relationships are still going to suffer. Like all of those component parts, whatever they may be, whatever parts of the system are at play, have to be working well, and also the relationship between the parts have to be well. What do you say to, to people and managers and leaders who go, this is all great, but, um, and we'd love for you to come and speak to us, but mm. we don't have time to actually you know, implement any of this. Yep. You know, it's great, sounds lovely, and we'll buy your book even, right. but what do, you do, what do you do with that? Because yeah. I look at your, you know, your, five, your, your model, and it's great, mm -hmm. and you go, who has time for that? Yeah. You know, and, didn't, and by the way, didn't you get that when you were born anyway? Isn't that kind of a part of who you are? <laughs> There's a lot of questions there. And, and you know what? <clears throat> Those are all great questions. And, I, and I'll say this. Most people are born thinking they can have a conversation. Everyone is born knowing they can talk. Very few people are able to have a conversation. Mm, so yeah, a, yeah. a conversation is reciprocal in nature, as, as you probably There's know. There's an intimacy there. There is. Yeah. And, and most people don't know how to have conversation. But for leaders who often say, we don't have time for this, and in fact that happens quite a bit, and that's probably part of the reason why I left corporate life, is right. because, I'll be honest with you, over the last 10 years working as an internal consultant, we had three different leadership strategies. You know, they're good for a couple of years, mm. and then senior leaders say, you know what, we're too busy here, or we're swept away by the business, let's redraft our strategy and start something else. So the bottom line for me is, unless you're willing to participate in, in, in this kind of exercise, you need to devote the time. And yes, it is time consuming, but clearly if things are not working well, what, what are you planning to do about that, right? So you can't, you can't basically go through life writing a new leadership strategy every two or three years. You need to sort of like dig in and keep the momentum going, sustain the momentum. I sometimes tell people, can you afford not to do this? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Yeah, I've always liked that, and I, I'm using that more and more. Uh, not, you know, can you afford not to do it? What's the downside? Uh, and why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. You know, so somebody will say to me, so why, you know, David, why do you do the work you do? And, and I've often come back with, well, I think a better question is, why aren't you mm -hmm. doing that same kind of work? Mm -hmm. Because there's something, uh, I think, uh, well, you can tell a lot about a person by the nature of the questions they ask, it yes. seems to me. And that's part of the reason why I chose to study philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it's, I should have a t-shirt with that on it, yes. actually. Um, Systems um, thinking uh, is organizational culture. Mm -hmm. um, you're getting involved with human resource departments and org charts, yep. and you're talking about office dynamics and 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 uh, the ethos of an organization and, and mm -hmm. closed door policy and all these things. So if it truly is all interconnected, and that's kind of what I'm hearing from you, yes. you've got four out of the five, or you got nine out of the ten. What if you just can't get that nice thing? You've, you're, the trust has been so broken down mm -hmm. because there's some sort of, I don't know, aging founder who won't let go. Mm -hmm. There is um, a clique mentality that is so deeply seated. Uh, the last thing I'm going to do is trust anyone. Because, you know, it's kind of that house of cards approach, sure. right? The political kind yeah. of, they're all liars, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I don't trust any of them, yeah. and I just got to survive. Yeah. A couple of things come mm -hmm. to mind. Um, so there are systems within systems, there's no hierarchy. So depending on where you find yourself in the system, uh, so if I can use a very concrete example, if I'm a vice president, 
I'm going to have more influence at the vice presidential level than if I'm a frontline manager who wants to influence the thinking of the vice president. I do believe that managers, if I can use that example again, are able to create a culture within the larger organizational culture. So there's a subculture within the culture. The way I set up my team dynamics, if I'm a systems thinker, and by the way, David, if I, if I was just able to influence people to think, if I can take a systems thinking approach, which means there's got to be interdependencies here on this problem that I'm facing, that would be a giant step forward. Mm. Because what tends to happen, as you probably know, is we tend to look at an event and we solve that event and not worry about what happens down the road. And so that's why organizations often say, well, we're working with a very siloed mentality. Well, you're working with a siloed mentality because you're not taking a systems thinking approach to this problem solving, right? And so I think that you need to be able to influence the thinking of senior leaders if you hope to have this entrenched in the organization. But to your earlier point, it is very time consuming. It is very difficult. It can, can become very complex and you need to take in incremental steps. The other thing I will say is when I talk about leadership, I talk about the three things that I feel are, are relevant. So, right. you, know, you know, I take that approach. They're not, they're not the only way. They're not the only way, and there are many other things that you could be talking about. Uh, so I talk about vision and purpose, I talk about relationships, and I talk about systems thinking so that I provide them with a fundamental framework. But you could talk about culture, you could talk about the technology, you could talk about coaching, you could talk about change management. So where is it that you think the work needs to be done? Because there's a system at play there somewhere. Right? And you need to be able to plot that system to be able to deal with those elements. Little pitch for you. Are you, uh, before we get back to this, are you, um, uh, are you the kind of guy who likes to come into an organization, take sort of a top-down approach and say, here's my 60-minute talk, here's my 45 minutes, I'll send you the uh, documents, by the way, pick up my signed copy of my book at the back and off you go? Or are you the kind of guy who actually wants to peel back the layers with an organization and dig in much deeper? So I or, like... Or maybe you do both. I actually like to do both, but one of the things I like about going in as a keynote speaker is that I can be very idealistic. Mm -hmm. I don't have to tailor my talk to uh, the audience that I'm dealing with because I like to be idealistic, and I suspect that you do as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I do like that approach, and I don't only target leaders in the organization. I'm very happy to share my, uh, my presentation with frontline staff because I think frontline staff, as I said to you before, I think they're also responsible for leadership behaviors and they need to understand what this is all about. Uh, but I'm quite willing to work on an individual level with people, but um, to your point, people don't always call me back because it is a lot of work. And they say, yeah, this is good stuff, and let me read your book, and I'll think about it. Right. Right? Because in the meantime, we have all these other business issues to deal with. Well, I think, I, I mean, my focus is is primarily been nonprofits for the past probably eight or ten years, mm -hmm. and and uh, a recent book that I've read um, for the second time, Forces for Good, mm -hmm. uh, which is an excellent read for, for anyone really doing any kind of, I would think, systems thinking or, or organizational analysis of one kind or another, because really it seems to me, you know, you've still got people uh, involved in nonprofits and for-profits, and so you're still really largely dealing with a lot of the same issues. But one one of the things they they talk uh, a, a great deal about is kind of um, uh, you know just kind of butting your head against the everyday. Mm -hmm. 
uh, well, I just we got way too much to do here. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have time for this. This is wonderful in theory, but how's it actually going to affect the business that we do on the ground? Or mm -hmm. how's it going to affect my 12 people on my business development team or my sales team or whatever the case mm -hmm. might be, or my fundraisers, mm -hmm. you know, to go into a nonprofit sector? So we get so busy with the day-to-day -day that we can't, you know, you, you, you can't see forest, forest, forest for the trees kind of stuff. I think that's a valid point, but David, I think you'd agree that um, simply doing your job is not enough anymore. And so if people don't have purpose, right? Yep. And I think that that's the common element. Like right. people sometimes right. say to me, okay, so you got a team, like how come, how come we're not working well together? Well, do you have a common purpose? Yep. Because if you're just doing your job for the sake of doing your job, that's simply not enough. Because your purpose has to align itself with the corporate vision. And, and again, this sounds very cliche, it's a, uh, very much a cliche as well, but People have to remind people of what's important, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I don't see purpose in the work that I'm doing and how it contributes to the bigger picture, you will not get an engaged workforce. There's a lot of talk about how do we engage people. Well, if people don't have purpose, they're not going to be engaged. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of an article I read recently. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just some thinking I've been doing mm -hmm. recently or a conversation, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot more writing on this over the next 5, 10, 15 years. But this whole idea of that Facebook-like culture, the millennial generation mm -hmm. that are saying, you know, I only really want to work for you for three to five years mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to continue to challenge me mm -hmm. or I need more money or I want more of a, an exciting adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, I, want, I want to do something where I'm giving back. Right. I don't want to just make large sums of money, uh, etc. And, and I'm wondering to what degree that's affecting current levels of leadership, systems mm -hmm. thinking and organizational behavior and so on. Um, from a relational perspective? Well, I think, again, uh, again, that's a very good question, and I think it is affecting it uh, from a relational perspective to, to the extent that I need to be in constant conversation with these people to make sure that their purpose is still valid. So as a millennial, if I use that as an example, if after five years my purpose is no longer fulfilling, it's incumbent on the leader in the formal leadership position to say, maybe you need a different purpose. Maybe I need to give you a bigger challenge. Maybe you need to step into another role. A lot, there's almost, I mean, there's a lack of flexibility there. There's a closed-mindedness on the sense of the leader, I suppose, mm -hmm. at some point. Like, I, what, I, what I've been finding of late, and I don't want to get too cynical, but just I would almost call it, you know, here we are sitting in a room with a closed door, but the closed door policy. Mm -hmm. This is the way I've done it, so why bother changing, you know? And, and, and that's almost become a cliche, and you kind of go, well, hang on, we're in the 21st century. Nobody really sure. believes that anymore, do yeah. they? Yeah. But I think the truth is they do. No, I think you're right, and, and we, why, Frank, why right. do we acquiesce towards what's sure. easy, you know? Well, because it's a lot easier to run the business if I can act as a dictator. Right. Dictatorships are far more efficient yes. uh, than democracies. <laughs> yeah. So if yeah. I can say, this is the way I want things done, um, and don't ask me any questions. And by the way, that culture still exists out there. Oh, That's I pretty think. sad. I had a very eye-opening experience as a manager when, and this was going back 20 years. And I, uh, you know, the, the guy above me asked me to write a letter on his behalf. And on the bottom of the letter, I said, under his signature, please call me if you have any questions. He looks at the letter and he says, I don't want this guy calling me. He says, take that sentence out. Have him call the uh, adjudicator or whatever. <laughs> Like it was like don't you know don't don't ask don't to actually call me. Don't, yeah. don't, I don't really you know, want to get that's involved. right I don't really want to answer any questions <laughs> you know I just want to you know yeah. and this is and this this mentality still exists out yeah. there yeah yeah well and I think the tragic thing if we can go with your assumption that we're all leaders and mm -hmm. I do go with that assumption by mm -hmm. the way um, what is now being communicated from that um, 
second-rate level of leadership mm -hmm. to the other frontline person who then potentially, if they don't fight back enough, if they mm -hmm. acquiesce towards what's you know easy and, and so on, then aren't they going to be just communicating the same message down the road? So it's almost like this, I don't know if you've seen the film Magnolia, but it's the sins of our fathers yes. that we pass on from yeah. you know one generation to the next. And I think from a leadership perspective, it, it, you know, I wonder to what degree there's a systemic thread to to broken mm -hmm. corporate culture well i think or any relationship frankly well sure but to put it in in a, a sort of another example it's really modeling behavior at the end of the day depending on how you're mentored and the behavior that you model will determine your leadership style so fundamentally i you know i think it's pretty obvious if i'm brought up in a in a very dictatorial culture where i'm not encouraged to ask questions and I get promoted to a management position one day, chances are very good that I'm going to model that behavior because that's what's been working for the past five years. Even if our business results are mediocre because nobody cares about kicking it up to the next level, that's the current culture. And, and by the way, it takes 10 to 15 years to change the culture of an organization, even if you set out methodically to change it. Right, because it you know it requires a change in mentality, it requires a change in beliefs, it requires a change in behaviors, and that all takes time. Is it? Um, I want to get back to the idea of uh, leadership mm -hmm. um, and the new approach, mm -hmm. and uh, I want to come back to this and, and measuring it. You know, coming out of an international development uh, background, mm -hmm. it's all supposedly now about results-based management mm -hmm. and about saying, here are my indicators, here are my outcomes, did we actually achieve what we were we set out to do? Can we come back to that sure. in a second? Sure. 10 to 15 years to change a culture. It's yeah. connected for sure to this whole idea of impact uh, because typically I think most investors, most people who want to see results want pretty immediate results. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in the 10 to 15 year impact change. statement or change, the right. long-term effective change. So you got a massive organization like like uh, uh, Apple mm -hmm. or, or uh, UNICEF or World Vision, you know, from the nonprofit perspective or AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. How does somebody, you know, way down the chain, mm -hmm. way down the ladder, uh, actually have an impact effect change? Uh, how do you how do you get up in the morning going? I'm going to take this bull by the horns. Yeah. Even though maybe you're fighting against a system of leadership that's not necessarily open to the idea that in 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. we're going to shift this culture. So you're moving this cruise ship, uh, but you're not necessarily doing it together yet. Yes, and it and and incident and to your point, it's a very good point. I mean, you have to be able to do it together in order to move the cruise ship. But I, I do believe, and I, I think I mentioned earlier that you can create or make a change at a subculture level. In, in spite of the organizational culture. And so once again, this is why I think that frontline managers, you know, the people who actually oversee the people doing the work have such a tremendous impact. Sadly, I think it's one of the toughest jobs in any organization because you're trying to change, make changes at the frontline level, and then you also have this prevailing organizational culture that can be crushing in some ways, right? Because you aren't able to move that, you know, up the chain. But I, I think I think it was Marcus Buckingham who said that people are loyal to individuals; they're not loyal to organizations. That's uh, good. Yeah, right? it's good. Well, it's and yeah, and, and it's so interesting. That's a great line because the the the, the when you hear somebody say, "Oh, I I, I hate that company," or mm -hmm. I, "I just don't want to work with them," what they're actually saying is usually not the company, but an individual that they worked with that's at exactly the company, right? right? Yes, yes, and yeah. that's why they end up leaving. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they so, butted heads or whatever the case might be, or you or you phone the customer service line and you get somebody who's not willing to budge yeah and now you don't like this 
you know, um, service provider, period. Yeah. When yeah. they've got 800 employees yeah. and have been in business for 50 years, right? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think this is also self-evident, and, I, and I'm sure you've come across this before. I mean, the higher up, higher up the corporate chain you go, the less you require technical skills and the more you require relational yeah. skills. Yeah, Relation, for sure. You know, work gets done through relationships, especially at a... You know, at upper management, if I can put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And um, <clears throat> some people are very comfortable with a dictatorial style. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, end of story. And well, if you can live in that culture, that's fine. And isn't there, um, I don't know, I think there's a certain security in it because it's less risky. It's not as open-ended. Um, I know what to expect coming mm-hmm. in tomorrow morning. Um, I know that I'll probably be asked to work a bit of overtime twice a month. You know what I mean? Like yes. there's this level, you, you can almost plan your life around that mm-hmm. style probably of leadership, whereas the other approach is way more, um, yeah, it's way, we used the word flux earlier, but it's in a, it's all constantly in a state of flux. But to me, that's exciting. For the long term, it is. Uh, but to your earlier point, it's also riskier, right? Yes. It takes time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to invest a lot of time, a lot of conversation. But over the long term, you know, because our works, workforce is, uh, you know, they're made up of intelligent people who need to know and need to have information. I think that that's the way you have to go. And to your earlier point as well about results, people, of course, want to see results. But if you're happy with mediocre results, and some people are, right, you know, maybe that style of leadership will survive. So let's talk about results for a second. So donors who give money to uh, nonprofits who are working in Africa or Southeast Mm -hmm. Asia want to be able to say, look what we did with our money, whether Mm -hmm. it's a Canadian donor or whether it's a corporate donor or whether it's individual. We all, all want to know that our... You know, if we're going to give to the, the the nonprofit sector, we want to know that our money is being used wisely. Sure. And there's an ethic that applies to uh, corporations that doesn't apply to, to nonprofits and vice versa. And, I, and I'm not sure why that is, but that's probably uh, another podcast I feel in the making. How do you say to somebody that in 10 years you're going to start to see the impact of this when they're paying X amount of dollars today? Mm-hmm. Um, and get them to invest mm-hmm. appropriately, mm-hmm. and and not just financially, mm-hmm. but you know, like you know, you said time and time again, this is a commitment. This is about this is long term. This yeah. is collective. This yeah. you know can be done individually, mm-hmm. but we got to do this in a community. We need to do this in relationship, and so on. So, just wondering what what some of your comeback statements are for that, or what what are some of the stats out there saying? You know, this is going to make a huge difference. And and I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. And then actually, that's the million dollar word. Word. It's actually expectations. Clearly defining your expectations, and and having a game plan so that people understand exactly where you you intend to be in five years, ten years. What steps am I going to take? What results? can I expect? Because at the end of the day, uh, I think that people have a right to know, are we making progress? Are we heading in the right direction? And so we need some very tangible things to put in place, right? I'm not saying that you should actually approach this as if it were a religious experience and take it on faith, you know, especially if, you know, if, uh, if you don't know someone from Adam. So have a concrete plan in place, you know, clearly define the expectations, um, outline your, your, your I, I guess, uh, milestones, and see if you're headed in the right direction. But uh, you have to have a clearly defined purpose uh, slash vision. And I think a vision at a strategic level, I think purpose more at the front line. I think you really have to work at the relationships and understand exactly what you expect from these relationships. And I think you have to take a systemic approach to problem solving. I think part of the, part of the problem with this kind of measuring is that when we say the word measure, mm-hmm. and this is, goes back to my question about your uh, the Cartesian edge to your system, mm-hmm. systems thinking approach. Mm-hmm. I think when we say measurement, we think numbers and we think quantifiable 
uh, stats. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to reduce you or this or this situation to a number. And we can't do that all the time, and yet we still seem to live our lives as if we can. Mm -hmm. And most of the distinctions that we really need to understand better are qualitative, yes. I think. Yes. You know, how do you and I interact? Mm -hmm. How do we actually work together? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, we could do a baseline study together today, and then in a year's time, come back and do another study and say, well, look, Frank mm -hmm. and David have improved by one point. Mm -hmm. oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. We got our money's worth. Yeah. We could do that. Yeah. But the truth is, maybe we didn't. No. Right? Yeah. So there's an intangibility to all of this that's... My favorite word is troubling, I think. But I always say it with a smile. It is troubling. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, it is troubling for people who need something tangible, you're right, because it's, it's not always measurable. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so at the, end of, uh, at the end of our meeting today, since I've only had the pleasure of meeting you today, we'll have a good sense of whether our relationship is on the right track or right. not. Yeah, right, yeah, no, I think you're uh, right about that. There, there won't be a seven out of 10 or, or a nine out of 10 or whatever. That's right. But we will have a sense. We'll have a of, sense right. intuitively, which is which is, I think is brilliant and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And and it's a type of knowledge that unfortunately our, our culture for the, uh, for the most part, it seems, mm -hmm. doesn't value in the way that we value that mathematical, yes. quantitative sort of analysis, you yeah. know? And I think that's frankly part of the reason why you're busy. You know why do you do the work that you do? Because you've got to you've got to break through those those um, those layers. Well, mental models is what I call them, and, and you know certainly the layers. But be, but to your point as well, before it escapes me, is if you're concerned only about what gets done rather than how it gets done, then you're very likely going to be very comfortable with a more dictatorial approach, for lack of a better term, which may upset some people that I, that I actually put it that way, but I have seen it. Let's use directional. I think directional is much less offensive. So I have a directional style of leadership, and I don't care how the work gets done. Uh, end of story. But I think, you know, that relationships are important, and relationships speak to the how. And I think that that's why we need to raise the level of our game. Um, we, we, believe it or not, we got to come to the end of our, our chat today yes. soon. But are, are good leaders just good people? Uh, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't think that you necessarily uh, need to be, um, that's an interesting question now. I'm I mean, I think, I think the reason I ask it is uh, I was in a conversation not long ago and somebody had read a 300-page book and, and reduced it, you know, and of course reductionism is problematic on a whole lot of levels, yes, it is. but kind of reduced it to, you know what, I, I think the message at the, at the end of the 392 pages was leaders are just good people. Yeah, like he, they, they, they have a sense for other people. They're yeah. kind. Yeah. They're considerate. They leave their doors open because they want to include people. They yeah. laugh, you know. Sure. And, and no, we didn't get into a long conversation, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that this was the conclusion. You know, David, why I, I hesitated to answer that question as I reflect on it. And to your point, depending on how you define good leader, you don't necessarily have good people who are good leaders. It depends on your definition of what constitutes good leadership. Yeah, sure. sure. I would agree with you. I would hope that a good person also is a good leader. Right. But that's not necessarily always the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the uh, uh, good leaders, yeah. Like, good, good could go both ways. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So what's the um, uh, title of your new book? Well, I'm or do thinking, you know yet? Yes, I, I, actually, I actually do. I, I'm calling it Thinking Beyond the Perimeter, uh, Leadership, Relationships, and Systems Thinking. And the reason I use perimeter is because mental models and the mental model of leadership 
establishes certain perimeters, and we need to think beyond the perimeter. And that's why I go about. That's why I, I, the premise is thinking about our thinking. So we need to go beyond the perimeter that's been established by our thinking, our current thinking, so that we can take a more enlightened approach to leadership, if I can put it that way. Uh, will the book be available on Amazon, or is it? Uh, will it be on your site? How is it? Uh, as we speak, I just have the manuscript. I'm uh, getting a, an editor. And I'm not really sure how I move forward from here. Right, I've, I've never right. written a book before, right, right, so I'm right. learning as we go along. Sure, sure. But so, I think it's going to be self-published. Okay. And uh, I probably will use it uh, in conjunction with my keynote speaking. Yeah, of course. Yeah, makes sense. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today, Frank. And, and for those of you who are interested in checking more uh, out about uh, what Frank is up to, uh, it's franksoriano.com, F-R-A-N-K-S-O-R-I-A-N-O.com. Yeah leadership relationships and systems thinking uh, we've had lots to chat about today barely scratched the yeah. surface once again uh, clearly more going on than meets the eye and uh, keep 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 in touch with Frank uh, uh, sign up probably a newsletter do you have a newsletter uh, no not yet I well check not. out check out his site if you're interested in his book I'm sure it'll be up there soon and again Frank thanks for for joining us today. David thanks so much I've really enjoyed our conversation today thank you